The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. So welcome to another issue of Mighty Marvel Geeks. It is the intrepid trio, Kylan. Eric and myself, Mike, and joining us is the author of the book. You just when you thought it was safe. Oh, I'm sorry. Just, just when you thought it was safe. Um, wouldn't want to make me angry. The Hulk companion. It's Pat Jankowitz. How's everyone wow, doing? Well done. Hey, two in a row. This this intro is happening for the second time because. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to argue. Neither was Mike. Neither was Kylan. <laughs> so I. To, to hit the last name the second time is, is great. So, uh, again, uh, we have Pat Jankowitz. Aha, there's three. Um, on, on, the sh- on the show. Uh, how's everyone doing? You first, boys. I'm a guest. <laughs> so tell us a little bit, Pat, about, the, about your book and why The Incredible Hulk. Okay. You know what? Um... The important thing is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which has generated billions of dollars in revenue streams, including action figures, clothes, everything else. Not only that, your mom knows who Thanos is now, you know? I mean, when you were in junior high, the only one who knew who was Thanos was you and Kevin Bachanik, your best nerd friend, you know? <laughs> it's true. I mean, I, the, the fact that a seven-year-old was telling me the other day about his hero, Rocket Raccoon. Well, as a kid, I remember having Rocket Raccoon's earliest appearances, and no one gave a damn about him, you know? So the Marvel Universe which we all know, started in the 70s, not now. Everyone thinks it started with 2008's Iron Man. It started in, uh, it, it started in the way back when. It started in the 70s, when The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man went on the air. Yep. Those were the very first, the very first Marvel live-action shows. You know, and, and, and I mean, Hulk literally debuted 15 years after his comic started, went for six issues, and got canceled for lack of uh, lack of popularity. And I think the approach to The Incredible Hulk, I mean, Spider-Man had moments, but it, it's mostly just a, a TV bland kind of 70s cop drama enlivened by Spider-Man appearances. But it wasn't really in tune with the way the characters are. There was no real Marvel. The Marvel touch, the Sam Lee tone of cab drivers and everything else wasn't really there. And with the Incredible Hulk TV series, what made the Hulk a different book for Marvel is the whole book is a, the whole book is about uh, a morning. You know, the guy the guy basically has a condition he's trying to find a cure for in the comics and in the show. And a lot of people writing the Hulk books had forgotten he was the doctor first and foremost. You know, he, he's a scientist. So when Kenneth Johnson did the show, he's looking for a cure for his condition. It's it's almost a metaphor. You know, he's wandering the country, running from himself, basically. And it was different than any other show like it. I mean, you know, it was born out of the uh, the love of that era from stuff like the Six Million Dollar Man and and all the 
all the kind of superheroes in, in everything but name only of the 70s shows where, you know, it's more of a James Bond kind of thing because nobody really wanted to do superheroes. So when the show began, it's your first Marvel flair. It's the first time you heard Hulk out outside of a comic book or outside of a, a, a cartoon. And because the show was such a big deal, because the show was such a big deal, it created everything Marvel that followed. And eventually the success of that show is one of the reasons Marvel wanted to go west and get into film. Okay. That makes sense, or did it bore no. all of you to sleep? No, no, it makes sense, because I want to say shortly after the start of The Hulk is when we got the first attempt at a Marvel film for TV only, and it was that all-time greatest hit, Doctor Strange. Wow, yeah, and by the way, that's the era. The heartbreaking thing is CBS, which ran The Hulk, was considered, and still is considered, an old people's network. You know, that's where Murder, She Wrote, and, and uh, Blue Bloods, that's where all your grandma's favorite shows go. And they never had a show like The Hulk. So when they had The Hulk, yeah, yeah, and, and don't forget David Hasselhoff's Nick Fury, and then, of course, you have oh. Rip Brown as Captain America. Remember, because... Red Brown, again, looking at how Marvel was treated, Red Brown does a great job, but if you watch Captain America, the, the first pilot movie for Captain America, there was only like a couple TV movies. Yeah. They, all this, my, my brother John chiming in, yeah, the serials before that, but all the Marvelisms, all the stuff that you as Marvel readers take for granted, the TV audience, especially the, the elderly audience that was on CBS at the time, did not accept. They could not accept that Captain America had been nice for 50 years. So Red Brown plays Steve, Steve uh, uh, what's Captain America? Rogers. Steve, Steve Rogers. Rogers Jr. He mentions he's Steve Rogers Jr. because his father, the original Captain America, died in the bombing of London. <laughs> That's yeah. in the pilot. That's in the Captain America TV movie. Watch it. They couldn't accept Captain America. They couldn't accept Captain America being ice for years. So they freaking killed Captain America. The show is actually about Captain America's son. <laughs> so whatever else. Isn't that terrible? I mean, Captain yeah, America's dead. And that was the reason why he kind of, he was inspired by his dad's costume. Right. That's why he designed his own costume, which I, right, when I was a right, kid, I kind of right. missed it, but then all of a sudden I'm like, oh gosh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I still yeah. hear the words, I still hear it in my head. You know, Steve, <laughs> you can be Captain America. You can be just like your dad. Ram Captain America down their throats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, our pain as kids watching this is only alleviated knowing that it was much, much worse than Jack Kirby's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you that poor guy watching that? I mean, wow. Well, I, I do remember, like, when I was a kid, like, I didn't even know that The Incredible Hulk was going to have a TV series. This It was like a, the perfect storm that night. It was a Friday night, and Pizza Hut had opened up in my town. We got oh, a pizza, wow, dinner, we sat down, and then the show comes on. And I'm watching it, and then I'm like, the incredible Hulk. Like, <laughs> and I was hooked because – I was reading. I was reading comics at that point, and even though I wasn't reading, 
I wasn't reading a lot of stuff with the Hulk mainly. I was reading Spider-Man Fantastic Four at that point. Right, right. Those were my gem. You know, Spidey, Fantastic Four. I always liked the Hulk because of all the destruction and everything, you know. And, and yeah, and I was hooked. I, I was hooked, but then I went back and started reading. I, I would read the comics. I'm like, so why in the comic is he is he Bruce, but in the TV show, he's David? I was confused by that, which Stan explained that later at uh, – I, I, I was fortunate enough to go to a convention, and I heard him explain the reasoning for that, which maybe changed the way I watched the show a little bit, but that's okay. Well, it's weird because uh, um, the guy who did it, uh, Kenneth Johnson, the creator of the show, he said he named him after his, his son, David, his oldest son, David. But I also think because he was doing The Fugitive, he was using the first name of the actor who starred in The Fugitive TV series, you know, mm -hmm. David Jensen. So yeah. I think he subconsciously used the same name. And what was interesting about it is Johnson did it because he hated alliterative nicknames. He he hated alliterative names. He hated he hated Bruce Banner. He hated Peter Parker. Names like that, Sue Storm. He despised that. And yet, who does he cast in the show? Bill Bixby, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like I do like the nod that they gave to it because you're Bruce being his middle name and you see that yeah. on the on the quote unquote tombstone. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, that was the concession. Johnson and Stan Stan was enraged. Stan did not want his name not to be Bruce Banner, and Johnson realized because uh, uh, Johnson was the guy who first created the Red Hulk. He wanted the Hulk to turn red, like blood red, because it was rage. Right. Because uh, one of the him and Stan were having a bunch of, I think, friendly arguments. Because they're both really easygoing, smart guys, and um, he wanted the Hulk to turn red. And Stanley said, "Absolutely not. He's green." And he goes, "What is he, Stan, the envious Hulk?" You know. And Stan would not give up on him being green, which I think that's one of the things you have to do. You know what I mean? I mean, the Hulk turns green. That's part of the package. You can't do the Hulk without that. But whereas the, the, the Spider-Man show that debuted the same year has all the characters in name only from the Spider-Man comic strip and comic book, but they don't really, they don't really adhere to their comic book poster personas. Jameson's more of an avuncular Perry White type who wants to meet Spider-Man, that sort of thing. The Hulk show jettisons everybody but the main character and you accept it wholly. It's got the tone. There's kind of a bittersweet, melancholy, mournful tone of the comic that they kept in the TV show. And Stan was cool with the show because it kept the tone of the show, of the comic. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's lost everything. He's basically lost everything. And that fits into, that fits into the show where it goes from town to town. You know, to, to have, the whole show is about this bombastic creature. And yet what you recall watching it every week is, that sad little mournful uh, lonely man theme that plays yes. the ending credit. People forget it's not the theme of the Hulk. The theme of the Hulk is the opening da -da 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 with the machines and everything. Yep. Yeah. They've got that kind of bombastic opening which explains who the Hulk is and what he does. But the, the, the lonely man, the lonely man theme when he's hitchhiking at the ending, that's your takeaway from the show. They make that, that's the show. You know, the, the this lonely guy who's, 
looking, he's running from state to state to find a cure for his own, well, something he's done to himself. He's running from himself, which is really a great metaphor, right. you know? Well, and, and I, I love, too, how the Hulk, uh, even though we didn't see it as much in the comics, um, I loved how with the series, they did add some of, the, some of that fugitive vibe to it, since he was being chased right. as well by some government agency. That's the fantastic part. I mean, when you look at when you look at the early Hulk comics by Lee and Kirby, Lee and Ditko, he doesn't really they don't really have a grasp of who the Hulk is yet, which was was really interesting. Uh, um, when you're reading the comics, sometimes you know the first six issues, sometimes he's talking like the thing. He's smarter and more of a wise guy, and then others he's just a brute. And you realize they didn't know who he was yet. I mean, it wasn't even Kirby. It was Lee and Kirby in the beginning. And then when Kirby left the book, because Jack was too important to the titles, you know, that you needed to draw the Avengers and this and that. So when Ditko, when Ditko came out of the book, that's when they changed the Hulk. In the comic, the Hulk, in the early issues, including the origin, he changes when the moon goes up like a werewolf. And it was Ditko who came up with the idea, you know, what if he just gets mad and that brings it on, which I think that's the connection everyone has to the character, that, you you know, you're a good guy, you're trying to do everything right, you lose your temper again, and, and just smash everything. What a metaphor for the human existence, you know what I mean? I mean, the Hulk is cathartic, it's exciting, he's, he's taking care of his problems, and he can deny all possibility because it's technically not him, you know? Huh? Yeah. You know, and, and then, I mean, so when they did that, Lee was, Lee was obviously watching The Fugitive, and there's an issue, I think it's, uh, um, I haven't, I, you know, it's, been, uh, it's in the book, but I, I think it's Tales to Astonish 66, or, or um, where they do the, they do the first story where Banner is hunting out in New York, and he's being hunted by police and, and the FBI and everything. Where he's basically, that's where the show gets it. That's where it hit its stride is the fugitive, you know? Yeah. 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 And the show is good. I mean, one of the reasons the Hulk lasts, you're going back to that era where a hit fantasy show would last three seasons. That was it. I mean, the uh, the Batman TV series went three years. Uh, I think Bionic Woman with Kenneth Johnson, also, Kenneth Johnson also created... That went two and a half years, but it was more about her bolting than doing the series. Mm -hmm. And it was more genre shows never lasted more than two seasons. You know, most of them canceled them one. Uh, uh, Buck Rogers barely made it through two seasons. Yeah. Uh, Greatest American Hero like Vinic Woman went two and a half seasons. I mean, that was just a stopping point. But because Hulk had a, they said the, the biggest audience for Hulk wasn't guys, wasn't kids. It was women. And I think it's written as, uh, and, and there, there's a continuity of the, the Hulk. You, uh, unlike other shows of the period, like even Buck Rogers or Battlestar Galactica, the genre shows didn't really have any continuity. They wouldn't meet the same characters or anything. The Hulk show did, you know, and then he didn't have the budget and he didn't have, and Johnson didn't have the interest to have him being chased around by the army every episode. So by inventing the McGee reporter chasing him around, it gave the show kind of a time element, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that uh, my, my, I have a twin sister, and my sister was fixated on the Hulk as much as I was. I'm certain it was for different reasons, because for me, it was just the fact there was a Hulk. But for her, it was uh, Banner being a tragic character, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, he's a, he's a, literally a tragic figure. And what 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 motivates him? The death of his wife, and then the, in, in the second season, his other wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a classic hero archetype, but it's one that appeals in romantic fiction and stuff. You know? If you ask her now, she'll say she liked it. We got angry. <laughs> I hope that's not her actual voice. <laughs> no, we play with soundboards on the show here. That's cool. That's co- so. Where are you guys out of? Where's this show coming out of? Uh, I'm based out of Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, Eric's in okay. Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama, and Kylan's in wow. Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Happening my brother said, uh, Akron, Ohio. My brother Donald chimes in with uh. Akron, Ohio is Recovery City, USA. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. You should be here when um, you should be here when they have uh, the AA weekend because all the bikers come and like the streets are full and I just stay home and you know. <laughs> There's nothing worse than having your profile rearranged by an alcoholic ex-biker <laughs> or ex-alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a big fan of the mistake on the lake, though. I lived in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan, so we would vacation in Cleveland, Ohio. That's how bad Michigan is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's only one thing to be said about that: rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. I have family. I find you never believed until they went to Michigan. I said it's all it's all Motown, Kid Rock, and Bob Seger. And when we went back for my cousin's wedding, it was all Motown, Kid Rock, and Bob Seger. And she's like, you weren't joking. <laughs> <laughs> there's James O'Barr, the guy who did The oh. Crow. You know, there's that. Well, well, that, no, that James but... from, no, no, James O'Barr is from Michigan. Oh, oh, I thought you meant yeah. he was from Akron. Yeah. No, not saying no. he's from Michigan. Yeah, so say so you got that. No, you're right. Well, I'll give you RoboCop. I, I would argue the best superhero film before Marvel got going was also set in Michigan. Not shot yes. there, but set there. That, that's I mean, true. Dark, one, one of the best things out of Akron, though, is Devo. Oh, man, I love Devo. You know, about four years ago, I saw them twice in one year after not seeing them at all. And my friend Cleve Hall did a bunch of monsters for their for their last couple of videos. You know, the uh, Ultraman type thing? Yeah. Yeah. And if you go to his Halloween party, he has the giant dinosaur from that Devo video sitting in his living room. It's really cool. <laughs> So, oh, well, yeah, the work from here, so there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. So I love it, yeah. So I love Akron. And by the way, I believe, uh, didn't Jerry Siegel come from uh, Ohio as well? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I think He's so. In Cleveland. I, I think Joe Joe Schuster, the artist, yep. is from Toronto. You know, but, uh, yeah. but Jerry, Siegel, Jerry Siegel is from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, I, I forgot about Devo. That's great. <laughs> and John Birmingham is the fall home of Vulcan Terrace, but that's what that's Vulcan statue. So, oh, yeah, we did see that driving. I drove across country a few years back to work on my first book before the Hulk book. And I remember seeing the Vulcan statue at dusk. Have you have you been there at dusk? Have you guys seen oh, it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's great until you realize you were standing underneath a uh, giant metal man with no underwear. <laughs> and, you're and when you're wondering why you stood there for three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's not logical. <laughs> oh my so, gosh! So, uh, how did you go about doing the research for the book? Well, I've, I've I've written for I've written for Wizard Magazine, and after college, I actually wrote for Marvel while they were in bankruptcy. Um, I was teaching, and I was writing for Marvel Vision, you know, the the company magazine. And I do 
jokey retellings of, of, of origins like Aunt May, Wisdom and Wheat Cakes, and all this stuff. So I always had a soft spot for the Hulk show and, uh, and, and the, the follow-up TV movies. And it bothered me that there was never a book about the Hulk. You know, the, it's the most successful in terms of years. It went five seasons. And when, as I said, no show went three. I mean, they, they would go, uh, you know, the, the more popular of the era, Bionic Woman, Greatest American Hero. There were one, there were two and a half seasons and done. And they were considered successes for that type of material. The Hulk went five. And I never saw the Hulk show being acknowledged. I'd seen a bunch of books here and there, but I'd never seen one in the Hulk, and it really bothered me. So uh, I pitched it, and when my, my book did really well, my first book was on the Jaws franchise, all, all, four, uh, all four movies. And I was hungry to do something on something that had never been covered before. And I pitched You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry, a Hulk companion, around and the editor who got it, he wanted it, he, you know, he wanted it. And he said, you got to do this. you got to do it all about the show. And the problem with it, guys, because I've also written for Wizard and everything else, I'm one of those, um, I'm one of those nerds who I just, I have, to, I have to research something completely, and I have to be a completist. So when I started getting the book, book together, you know, I, I, I knew Stan Lee, and Stan Lee was really cool about having my brother Don and I in his office Anytime I wanted to talk about it, I knew Kenneth Johnson because I'd, inter I'd interviewed them for like Starlog and all the other magazines I'd written for. And I never thought about doing one on the Hulk. So when I started doing it, and it was like, there, there was like, uh, I think, 88, 91 episodes, you know, when you break the two partners in half. So it was going to be a hell of a lot of work, you know, you, you, and then there were two TV movies before the show got rolling and three after the series. So when I started this thing, the first 50 pages of my book are the history of the Hulk and the comics. You know, Stan telling us how he came up with the character, Stan telling me how he came up with the character, how when the character got canceled, when the Hulk got canceled, he thought the Hulk got a raw deal and he wanted to bring him back. And Stan found the way to bring the Hulk back. He kept making him a guest in other books, and the readers really liked the Hulk as a recurring guest star. And that got him into Tales of Astonish, Tales to Astonish, where the Hulk was, I mean, no offense to the Namor, but he's kind of a Z-lister compared to the Hulk. And if you look at these Hulk stories they were doing, there were backups to beautifully drawn but ultimately boring Namor, the Submariner stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Stan kept bringing him back until he got so popular he was able to give him his own book. And so the first 50 pages of my book are on are on the Hulk comic book. This is before I even get to even talk about the uh, about the TV show. I covered, uh, uh, you know, I had Peter David, Len Wein, uh, uh, Herb Trimpey, God rest his soul. What a great, great guy Herb Trimpey was. Herb Trimpey, who had a wonderful run, he's the guy who introduced Wolverine. He co-created Doc Sampson. He co-created the Hulkbusters. You know, all the iconic stuff in the Hulk series, most of it came under Herb Trimpey when he took over the book. And the, the reason his Hulk was so great looking, you know, uh, I know Kirby co-created the character and stuff, but... The Trimpy Hulk is my favorite, and it always had a lot of personality to it. Herb Trimpy would have a mirror. He had a mirror at his drawing table, and he would draw a slightly elongated version of his own face as the Hulk. And when you see those great panels of the Hulk looking remorseful or whatever, that was Trimpy making that face into a mirror as he sketched it with his good hand on his artboard. Oh, wow. you know, uh, 
isn't there, you know, the origin of the She-Hulk? In fact, you owe you owe the She-Hulk to the TV series and Spider-Woman. Spider-Woman is also because of uh, the Marvel TV shows. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Johnson and Universal were doing the Six Million Dollar Man, which was based on the Martin Caden novel, Cyborg. Right. And you remember that? You know, yes. And, and yep. when the yes. show got, right, and so they spun it off. Kenneth Johnson was the guy who came up with the Bionic Woman. Yeah. And he wanted the rights to the character, you know, uh, and Universal wouldn't give him separated rights because, you know, there wouldn't be a Bionic Woman if there wasn't a cyborg with the powers and six million Iron Man. Marvel Legal knew this. And when Johnson was doing the Hulk, Marvel said, hey, we need a female Hulk right away, you know, because Universal had done that before to the Bionic Woman. And there was a, a little, uh, there was a question of divided rights. So Marvel wanted to make sure if we have a female Hulk, they can't claim they created a female Hulk and fight with us for the rights to her. So they turned around and uh, had Stan Lee create the She-Hulk with artist John Bushima. And so that that whole character was just to keep the Universal TV series from doing a female Hulk. And the, 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 the female Hulk that Kenneth Johnson had indeed been planning to do. You remember uh, the actress? I'm blanking on her name. Um, no, no, that was the pilot. Uh, the girl who played uh, who played Pulaski, who played Pulaski on Star Trek: Next Generation. Uh, oh, Diana Muldar. Diana Muldar. Thank you very much, Melissa. Johnson was she was playing Banner's like fifty something older sister on the show, and Tina Johnson was going to make her the She Hulk. And and I think I I don't think that's really the direction Marvel was hoping to go with it. So they made the um, they made the kind of uh, uh, she's a, a a kid cousin I think is Stanley's terminology for her in the book. So so she so by doing that Marvel had an un, uh, an undisputed claim to their She-Hulk. Universal TV wasn't able to try and grab, you know, the rights to it, which would have, you know, been an ugly legal battle. So that's why you've got the show. And not a lot of people know, but I have a chapter on my book. They actually started making a She-Hulk pilot and shut it down when they couldn't find an actress to play the She-Hulk. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, they were going to go. There was there's supposed to be footage, at least their wardrobe fittings, makeup fittings. Uh, um, when they did the, you know, when they a- added the golden She-Hulk to the book, not to all, the Hulk has, you know, there's your, your tragically twisted up, uh, Marvel continuity. They introduced a, a daughter of the Hulks from a parallel dimension or something. She is golden. And that was what they were going to do with the She-Hulk in the late eighties, early nineties TV movie that it was the last time Bill Bixby was, who had played Banner. He played Banner for like a week when they shut it down. The director of that, I don't know if it's, it might be, I don't think it's Brian Trenchard Smith, but there was a director who also did, uh, there was an Aquaman pilot related to Smallville, and it was the yeah. same director who did the, the She-Hulk pilot. And I talked to, uh, um, I talked to, I talked to the writer, I talked to the, uh, I talked to the uh, producer, all the people who are involved with it, and, and the, the wonderful gal, Mitzi Kaptur, the wonderful gal from Silk Stockings was going to play the girl who, uh, Jennifer Water, uh, Jennifer Walters, I think? Yeah, she, yeah, Jennifer Walters. But the big change is, even though she's like a 20, 20-something uh, lawyer in the script, she's Bill Bixby's uh, romantic interest because they're not related in the in the pilot that they did. And I mean, the, the pilot played like a really weak episode of the show. There were some good moments. They kept the uh, they kept her trashing the uh, uh, um, 
they kept her trashing the, the, the mobster's car in the parking garage. They kept her ripping through, like, uh, uh, elevator doors. But she was golden, and her, her ability, you know how the Hulk was, wasn't bulletproof and had to run away. Her problem is she was blinded by bright, bright lights, and there's a scene where she hugs out in Vegas, and she stands there until the Lou Ferrigno Hulk was supposed to lead her away from the lights. I'm not convinced it would have been a sustainable series, but I'm glad they tried it. Uh, and they had to, yeah, see, did you guys know this? No. 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 Yeah, they tried, there was a, she, they've tried to do a She-Hulk several times. Larry Cohen was going to do one with Bridget Nielsen, and Carl Gottlieb worked on the script for that. Carl Gottlieb, who did Jaws, was one of the writers on the She-Hulk, you know, when they were trying to launch the character on her own without making her part of the Hulk. But Bixby, it was Bixby's last time as the Hulk. And, they, you know, uh, um, the writer indicates she knew a couple secrets from Bixby at the time, but she wouldn't share them with me. And I think one of them was that he was on the way out. So they they were basically trying not to. Bixby, I think, knew he was on the way out, and when the script and the direction and everything fell apart, he wasn't really broken up by it. Okay. Wow. But it was an interesting script. It's by uh, it's by uh, um, it's by one of the women who wrote some of the best episodes of the of the TV series, and it was interesting to see that they actually tried to make it. I mean, it was it was a noble attempt, and, and you know, it's the it's the closest they came to getting the character made. They they actually tried to do a. Uh, um, they also had another script called uh, after the, they killed the Hulk. They had another script called the Rebirth of the Incredible Hulk, where they brought him back. But this is after the She Hulk pilot fell apart, and obviously, I think Bixby's cancer had returned, and he didn't really want to say anything. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because the the people people on the show, Lonnie Anderson, who was a guest on the show. She tells us this just heartbreaking story about doing a doing her TV show when Bixby was directing Blossom next door, and he was directing the episodes hunched over with his hands on a chair because he, you know, his condition was so bad he could barely stand up. Wow, you know. Now speaking of yeah, now go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. No, 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 you're good. I was just going to say the the She-Hulk pilot was called Metamorphosis. Okay. Now, what do you know about the, the casting of Frignum and Bixby into the the two title roles of the of the show? That's the mo- that's one of the more fascinating stories about it. Uh, um, and by the way, um, when Bixby when Bixby was going to do the show, superheroes up until that time had been unknown. Linda Carter, Van Williams, Adam West, they were all nobodies when they were cast. You know, uh, um, I, I think Linda Carter was a Miss America or a Miss America runner-up, but they weren't people you knew. Bixby was the first named guy to sign up to play a superhero. And his agent, his, his agent manager, Paul Connor, is in my book, and he had read the pilot and thought the pilot was terrific. And the reason he thought Bill Bixby should do the pilot when they were talking about it is because he just heard that Gene Hackman had been cast in Superman. And he said if Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando are doing a superhero movie, and if it's any good, it could be good news for the whole genre, which you got to give him credit. And he told me, he goes, I wouldn't, I would not have, he goes, I would not have agreed to it if the script, if the pilot script was not as good as it was. And then, so Bixby did the show. When he got the pilot, they hired Richard Keel. And Richard Keel's in my book before he passed. Jaws from James Bond, The Twilight yeah. Zone. Yeah. You know, a, a wonderful man. One of his sister lives about 10 minutes from here. A wonderful guy, but he doesn't look like the Hulk remotely, you know. 
there's one shot of him in the pilot when uh, when the Hulk comes over and he and he's pushing over a tree. There's a great shot of a little girl looking up at him, and the camera is like upside down. And the camera the camera is upside down because it's the only shot of Keel you're going to see in the pilot. Keel just didn't look like the character. Lou Ferrigno looks like the comic book Hulk. So they go. They're shooting. They're shooting this thing where he's pushing over the tree. And they bring in Frank Price. Frank Price and Sid Sheinberg were the heads of Universal Television. Frank Price had a teenage son who went on to direct one of the Leprechaun movies. But at the time, his son was a comic book fan. He comes to the set where they're shooting. There's Bixby there. The dread, uh, Kenneth Johnson's there. You know, the, the cast and crew are shooting the scene where the, the Hulk is rescuing the little girl who's drowning in the water. And the kid, remember, your father is the head of Universal Television. So you've got all these middle-aged TV executives down there. And he he told his son, well, if you look over there, there's the Incredible Hulk. And, you know, being like 13 or 14, he looked over at the Hulk and he goes, that guy ain't the Hulk. And that put them into abject horror, abject fear. So they turned around and they said uh, they fired they fired Kiel, who, who described the entire experience of being a Hulk as miserable. He had to drive home in his red MG sports car, still covered in paint, hitting his life. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnson looked at Johnson, grabbed everybody on Muscle Beach, you know, auditioning for the role. And he liked Arnold Schwarzenegger personally, but Arnold's 5'10". And he said he wasn't, he goes, he, he was looking at Arnold and Arnold wasn't giving him the visual. Arnold's 5'10", no matter what you read, he's 5'10". Lou Ferrigno is, is uh, 6'4". Lou for, Lou's a pretty big guy. And Lou, in makeup, looks like the Hulk, you know? And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he does. He does, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, so he hired him. He hired him and brought him in. And, of course, the rest is history, you know? So you had Bixby and Ferrigno. And the great thing is because Ferrigno was, no pun intended, really green at the time, Bixby kind of helped him with the acting portions of it and helped... When Lou uh, guest starred in the King of Muscle Beach episode as an actor, Bixby basically acted as his dialogue coach and got him through the episode. Okay. Oh, cool. That's very. And cool. you know the great. Oh, thank you. Huh. I just now now I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch the opening just so I can see Richard Keel. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Well, no, but he's not in. The, he's not in the. He's not in the opening credits. He's only in that scene in the pilot when the camera's upside down. See, You'll see I, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a, he was incredibly brittle. Uh, what, what his comment to me was, you know what you need after playing the Hulk is a little. And I, I'm quoting him. This wasn't for me. You need a tiny Asian woman with a scrub brush to clean you off from all the green paint. <laughs> <laughs> And Dick Durock, who played the Swamp Thing, was an evil, incredible Hulk on the show. And he told me, remember yes. the evil Hulk in the, yep. the first parts one and two? Yeah. He oh, told yes. Me, he was great. He goes, he goes. I shot in Louisiana on on Swamp Thing, you know, in Georgia, in Louisiana, South Carolina. He goes, I was in a real swamp, and you'd hurt your feet, and you know, he goes, your water, your costume would get waterlogged. And he goes, and I would take that a million times oh, in Florida, and, and, and I would take that a million times over being a Hulk. He said the glass contact lenses were the most painful things he'd ever felt in his life. And uh, he turned to the director and he goes, Louie's been wearing these for four seasons? 
Wow. Yeah, they're the glass ones. Those are the top ones, They were hard. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and it just kind of made you wonder It just you know, how indeed how both not just Lou, but also Bill, because they had to film those transformation scenes. Exactly right. right. And, and you knew when you got to the to the part of the show where where Bruce opens his eyes. I'm going to call him Bruce right. because he's Bruce. Yeah. When he opens his eyes. You're close. When he opens his eyes and there go green, you knew stuff was about to get real. Yes. Right, right. By the way, I don't think do the eyes go green or they go white. Remember, he has the white pupil in hey, transformation. Uh, it was, it was like yeah. a greenish white. It was greenish. It, it was white. It was a very. It was almost like a mint. Yeah. yeah. Did it, I actually uh, just uh, say that? Oh, good grief! Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, but but that's one of the things Kenneth Johnson is so proud of. He said after he did because he goes he he goes. I didn't have the money, they didn't have the effects, and they didn't have the know-how to do. In the comics, they would zoom in on his hand going large and blunt and thick and monsterish. But there was no way to do that when he was doing the show. And so he goes, I needed a visual cue for the audience that he was transforming. Mm-hmm. And so remember the sting when you see the eye changing? He goes, he decided the eye would be the trigger because he realized he couldn't turn him into the Hulk on camera. This is years before CG. Right. Right. You remember, you see the eye, and I think it's a, I think it's a chorus. That's a human chorus going, ah, you know, when you're the, that thing yes. you hear. Yes. Because Johnson said you'll recognize the human voice. Your, your ear, well, you know, your your conscious mind won't know what it is, but it'll still associate with being human and transforming and all this. And he he goes, they took the eye as a visual cue for the comic books and have used it ever since. And he's exactly right; they've used it for decades. <laughs> Well, I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah. His, his eyes go white. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the color, the color in the eye goes to white. Exactly. You know, and, and by the way, here's something else you didn't know when you're talking about the ripping clothes. His son, man, the son double for the Hulk was African American, a really great guy named Manny Perry. You also see him get shot in the, by the in the stomach by Bruce Willis with a cat puppet in uh, in the Last Boy Scout, and he gets That's... wasted. He gets wasted in the parking lot shootout in Heat as well. Okay. And Manny, Manny, uh, uh, Manny had, they made him, Manny put on the same makeup to make sure there was no change in base coat coloring of the green because of the, the, the pigment differences between him and Lou. Right. But Manny, Manny's stories are incredible. When you saw the Hulk go up against the bear, that's Manny. When you saw the Hulk get, hitting, uh, the bull hitting the Hulk, Manny mm-hmm. got thrown like 20 feet in Pico Rivera when they were shooting that episode. When the, he said he was assured the ball was drugged and all he had to do was hold the horns for like 30 seconds. <laughs> well, the ball, he said, was not drugged enough. Looked at him, <laughs> oh, looked, no. looked at him with the eyes, flicked his horns once, and Louis said, that's all I, or Manny said, that's all I remembered. I was 20 feet away on my back in the sawdust. <laughs> Oh. oh my gosh! Yeah, isn't that amazing? Manny had stories. Manny got stung a bunch of times. Remember the one where Banner's changing because of the hornet's nest? Ba- uh, Manny got stung by a bunch of bees in that episode. Oh wow! Well, you know, you know, so Manny, Manny will tell you every indignity the Hulk went to because he went through it first. <laughs> well, now there there was that one episode where Bruce was in mid transformation through the whole episode. Fantastic so- episode, Prometheus. By the way, can give yourself credit, Marvelite. That's also the only time in the series the Hulk came close to talking. Ah. Oh. 
Wow. Okay. Yes. You're right. It's a legendary episode. They also blatantly rip off uh, Andromeda Strain when they all, when the government keeps going to the different scientists' houses to get them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, the old guy, the old scientist they bring in that episode is Whit Bissell, who played the doctor in the original Black Creature of the Black Lagoon. I got him while I was running for Starlog. I was able to get with Bissell, so he'd passed by the time my book came out. But I already had a bunch of quotes from him about doing the show. You know, uh, um, that episode, Prometheus, that's Rick Drazen, also known as the Demi-Hulk. Rick Drazen was a bodybuilder. Rick does, he's still a bodybuilder. Rick did the Gold Gym logo of the of the giant guy holding up the, uh, uh, he did both the gorilla and the giant bald guy holding the weights. That's yeah. Rick's design. Oh, wow. And he was really, he was really proud to do that uh, that two parter. But the hilarious thing is, Kenneth Johnson goes, because uh, you know you'd have close ups and Bill Bixby with the built up shoulders, and then every time they're walking around, Lori Prang. Lori Prang, who played the blind girl in that, she's the crippled girl uh, Banner carries through the swamp in the second Incredible Hulk pilot, the, the Incredible Hulk Returns. Yes. So she she did two different episodes of the series, two different two parters on the series. And the first one, they made her crippled, and the second one, blind. Even Jenna Johnson goes, she's such a nice girl. Why did we mutilate her? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for the Prometheus, because it was, you know, it's Prometheus is one of the series' very best episodes. Yes. Kenneth Johnson made a point of coming back for the first two episodes of every season. He tried to do this. For the first two episodes of every season, he would do a big, splashy two-parter, you know, he did Married, where Banner gets married and, and his wife dies, Married Hartley, also in my book. And then he did, uh, he couldn't do the third season, the season three opener, but he came back for the fourth season. And the fourth season was Prometheus. And uh, my argument in my book is season four of The Incredible Hulk is the most marvel of any Hulk TV series before everything that came along later, Daredevil, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. You had secret bases in a mountaintop. You had government, uh, uh, the Hulk, the, the, the Hulk battling an evil version of himself. I mean, season four of the Hulk is just amazingly great because Johnson had been running from the comic book influences, but by the fourth, by the series fourth season, he really needed them. You know, he needed everything. So you had a secret government base. Kind of like S.H.I.E.L.D. You had the Hulk, you know, basically in a horror movie one week, you know, with the evil Hulk, which was done like a Tim Burton movie, you know. It's like a Tim Burton Frankenstein homage where he winds up in this small town battling the Hulk who came before him. Season four, I would argue, is the series' very best. Just a lot of fun. And Prometheus, Prometheus is the series that is most interesting and ambitious. Remember, because he's half Hulk, usually the Banner character is very compassionate. But because he's he's slipping into Hulkishness, he's he's rude, he's angry, he loses his temper at the drop of a hat. It's a great episode. And I remember uh, Rick Drazen telling me for the scene where he smashes the tea kettle. And if you notice, Kenneth Johnson said the tea kettle he smashes in the blind woman's place looks like the giant tank they stick him in at the end of the episode. Do you remember when they capture him? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. And so he goes, he smashed, he was so excited to be a Hulk for two episodes, he smashed the tea kettle, cut his finger, and had to get tetanus shots. <laughs> Jeez. The Hulk brought down by a tetanus shot. <laughs> yeah, even Rick, 
one one of his funnier stories. One of his funnier stories is that it was a popular episode and a popular two parter. Partner. And and if you watch uh, the Dewey Cox movie, uh, Walk on what, what's it, the Johnny Cash character? Walk hard. Walk hard. Thank you. Yeah, walk hard. They actually refer to the Hulk two partner. Remember, he has a TV show on, and he asks his producer when he's on a last night's episode, and he goes, "I was watching the Incredible Hulk. He's battling the evil Hulk." I mean, it's literally the most comic book, one of the, well, alongside Prometheus, the most comic book of any episode of the series. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So Rick Drazen gets up. They do start doing stories on Rick Drazen, calling him the Demi Hulk. And he said at two in the morning, his phone rings. This is like a, the day it ran in the LA Times or something. And he picks it up and he goes, hello. And he goes, uh, uh, Rick, Rick, it's Carl. Lou, Lou's wife called him, him at home at two in the morning. And he goes, hey, Carl, what's up? What's up? I just want you. I need you to know this. Louie is the Hulk, not you. And then she hung up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> And he remembered that story years later. He goes, that was one of the weirdest phone calls in my life. <laughs> so there was no – I don't know why I thought I read this somewhere. And since you wrote this book, you can confirm this. I thought I read somewhere that there was at least a nod to Spy Smasher in uh, in the series. The old, the old 40 serials? Yeah, apparently there was a, a, a nod to Spy Smasher uh, in the Incredible Hulk series, and, and not, which I thought was obviously – I mean, I didn't remember anything like that, but it seemed like I remembered that they said that there was a nod to that. And I know that as the show went on, it did seem to become more comic book-like. Yeah, because they had no, they had no choice. They had to. <laughs> Spy Smasher. Now I'm trying to remember. I think it might be mentioned by name, like in one episode, but I don't. I, I don't think they had anybody from you know the serial. Because um, the weird thing, I mean, I can tell you, the Hulk was Stan Lee's very first cameo in a Marvel production when he appeared on the jury and trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, he yes. was the foreman. Yes. Right, right, right. But people don't know that Lou Free, uh, that that Jack Kirby just started in that episode. Jack Kirby appears, and they, they, they don't put him in the credits or anything, but Jack Kirby is in a police sketch artist, the one where the mentally ill guy thinks he's, um, oh, man, this is terrible. Who shot himself in the head, Don? Four-toed cats. How many way? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's my brother Donald uh, belling my ass out again. Um, <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. Remember the episode of the crazy man thinks he's Ernest Hemingway? Vaguely. Yeah. 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 At the end of it, and, and they're trapped in a houseboat for most of the episode, at the end of it, the police sketch artist who's drawing not the, – the character is trying to save Bill Bixby, so she describes someone totally different to the police sketch artist played by an incredible Jack Kirby. But you literally see Jack Kirby sketching on camera in the Hulk. He, he's the very first guy from the comics to cameo in, in the series at all. Oh, wow. Which Man. is kind of fascinating, you know? Wow. Well, oh, all, all, well I, I have to be thankful for the Hulk because I got live-action Daredevil. <laughs> because <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be too thankful. Did you see what they did to Daredevil? <laughs> well, I, oh, I, oh, I know. And um, I, it was like when I saw when you, when you get Kingpin, I'm like, what the heck? But, you know, no, but we also ended up with the black suit that ended no. up coming up later. So I'll take that. I brought Stan Lee down to the set to meet Daredevil, is how they put it, because he'd already took the pictures with Thor. Thor was a cool dude. Thor's in my book. I got Thor because uh, he's from Michigan like me, and he was doing a he was doing a Nickelodeon show, and he was so amazed I was doing a, a book on the Hulk. Again, the first 50 pages of my book 
are on the, the comic book. The mm-hmm. last 50 are on all three TV movies, as well as I Love You, Man, with Lou and it and everything, and uh, um, and a little bit on and, and both uh, the Incredible Hulk movies as well, Ang Lee and the other one. Mm-hmm. But the weird thing is, the, the weird thing, you guys, when Daredevil, they brought Stan Lee down to the set, and the stuntman and the Daredevil, the, the, the guy, he posed with the guy, Rex, Rex, uh, the the guy Smith. Uh, Rex Smith, Rex, yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he's now in real estate. I met him at a Starbucks like a month after my book was published. I couldn't get him originally. I I couldn't find him. And then once the book is published, I run into him in line at the uh, the, uh, the the Hollywood. Um, I run into him at a, a valley out here, a valley Starbucks. And ah, sh- uh, heck. <laughs> So anyway, Stan Lee is brought in for a shot with the Hulk and Daredevil. And he goes, uh, uh, what's the deal with his eyes? What's the deal? Why can't I see his eyes? And they look at Stan Lee and they go, well, you know, like they're explaining to a small child. That's how Stan Lee put it. Well, you see, Stan, he's blind. Yeah, but nobody's supposed to know he's blind. (laughs) So he's running around with a cloth over his head so everyone in the world knows he's blind in the episode. Well, yeah, I mean, because, like, I it, it remember looked, that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Because, like, in the comic, like, Daredevil's costume, like, what is it, you, like, it looks like the eyes are red, you know, so, yeah. but, you know, but it's all but soft. But, you know, I talked to Gene Cohen about that, Gene Cohen, the classic Daredevil artist. The eyes are red to make sure the reader understands his eyes don't work, and that's just for show. You know what I mean? Right. I mean that's why his eyes are red because you're not you the reader are supposed to always be constantly aware he's blind and that you know that's not like Spider-Man's eyes which are white to show he can see out of them or right. Iron Man's which are like uh, uh, tinted slits you know because he's always going underwater in the space mm-hmm. so it drove Stan crazy because he couldn't believe they would give him a, they would take his gimmick and make it what he's known for in the costume you know right. I remember Stan was still fighting the studios back then that was New World that's before Marvel had a say, and he said he would have to fight and fight and fight. I mean, when the Marvel movies came, if you didn't accept the basically the the rules of the comics, you were out. You know, right. uh, for the Hulk, for the Hulk meaning Thor, they literally made them two different characters, Don Blake and Thor. You know, yeah, I, that bothered me. Yeah, it that should. It was it, you know, bothered it me. Yes, it should. I, <laughs> When he holds Molnir and he calls out Odin, I'm like, huh? I know, I know. Yeah, and, and drove Stan nuts, too, you know. Although, I thought Lou Frigno and Bill Bixby looked great. That was 10 years after the series ended, and they looked terrific. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, my problem with Thor is even the costume did not look like Thor, except for the no, helmet. No, not at all. I mean, he looked like he was outfitted by Dollar Tree. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) That may be the best way I've heard that costume described ever. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, you you would look at it and see crestfallen people. But you can see people who discovered Marvel through the movies. And they backtrack, and you just see them posting online about how angry they are about the, uh, the costumes when they've once they've seen the original, you know, the the new $100 million Marvel movies, and they go back to look at the the original appearances of the characters, they're always pretty put, put out by it, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah, he looks like he was a renegade from a B movie about, you know, the Vikings that weren't actually Vikings. It's kind of like the island no, at the top I know, of the world. I know. He's friggin' north. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's like going it's like going back to the Doctor Strange movie. It's like I am so oh. glad I have not seen people really reference back to that after watching the oh. Cumberbatch films. <laughs> Yeah, and they put him both worse. They put him in the cave and then see it once, and it's a friggin' dream sequence. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say one thing that I really did like about the the trial of the Incredible Hulk, and well, also I thought they did a good job at the time of doing uh, of doing Daredevil's powers. Yeah, but what I liked most about that movie was John Reese Davis as the Kingpin. Yeah. Even though they never called him the Kingpin. He was the Kingpin. Trust me, when you talk to John Reese Davies about it, he calls the character Lynchpin because he kept getting the name wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I thought thought making him an MTV impersonator. Kingpin, again, every Marvel kid has their favorite character from when, you know, Kingpin was always my favorite Spider-Man villain. So I've mm-hmm. always had my nose at a joint over that stupid Frank Miller making him a Daredevil bad guy because all of Daredevil's enemies were sucky. <laughs> uh, I'm I, sorry. You know right to take my favorite character. Because remember, the Kingpin was the, the calm, Sydney Greenstreet type guy. And after about 10 minutes, he gets fed up with Spider-Man. He was trying to hit him with a desk. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sam Raimi. My brother points out Sam Raimi's original choice for Spider-Man Two was the Kingpin. He said after after days and days of after months of working with uh, um, after months and months of doing Spider-Man One with two helmeted characters, you know, Spider-Man and Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. He said, "Please, all I want for Spider-Man Two is a villain with a face." <laughs> and that's why it's Dr. Octopus, because he couldn't get – the, the Kingpin's rights were tied to Daredevil, and he couldn't get them right. for his Spider-Man yeah. movie. Because you know? that was – Fox owned Daredevil at the time, and I think Sony owned uh, Sony owned Spider-Man. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So that it became would have been interesting. Wouldn't it? I, what, would a, what would a Sam Raimi Kingpin look like, you think? Uh, uh... You know, I'm trying to think, but I, I really can't get past uh, Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, he – I thought he was very good at it. Mm-hmm. I thought, he is, but there's no Vanessa. I mean, the, the whole thing yeah. of the Kingpin is multifaceted. He's brutal and ruthless, but Vanessa keeps him in line. I, I – as much as I and, and uh, I'm one of I'm like one of three people who will take a you know I will take the controversial opinion that I thought the Daredevil movie Ben Affleck was pretty good you know for what it is it wasn't yeah. bad yeah I mean uh, uh, um, I think Nickelback being on the soundtrack makes it harder and harder to defend but you know <laughs> so and and Michael Clark Duncan tried to get rid of the cigars Michael Clark Duncan wanted to get rid of the cigar and have the kingpin doing a muscle grip you know that little thing you squeeze to keep your hands yeah you yeah. know. And I mean, and I mean, the, the, the stupid ending where he unveils his true face to Kingpin. Daredevil's family would have been and friends would have been dead before he got halfway home after unmasking before his greatest enemy. Yeah, <laughs> sure. But have you seen the series? I mean, the D'Onofrio Kingpin and and the Vanessa from the Zack Snyder Superman movie—they're terrific. The mm. I I think the best episode of the of all the seasons of Daredevil is was right. uh, episode eight, where it's just D'Onofrio. Oh, is that it, why he killed a famous character, a supporting character? I won't give away here. Um, no, it's it's the one where it, it's the whole episode is him. It's just focused on him. 
No, what a great show. I, well, but I mean, they kept. Did you see the episode where he cuts the Russian, the evil Russian brothers go after him, and he cuts one of their heads off of the car door? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, man. yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think it's I that think, same episode. Yeah, I think you're right because it was Breaking Bad level violence. He's on a blind date with Vanessa Fisk, and when they come after him, he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed in front of his girl, so he shows them no mercy. I mean, to give Kingpin a level of Breaking Bad violence, I thought was really cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, great, it's a great show. It's my favorite depiction of the Kingpin, actually, outside of the book. Yeah. I mean, you, you think of Kingpin as the, a, 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 like you said, the Sidney Greenstreet guy. And Lord, right. I, I was today years old when I made that connection and just thinking that that is just the most brilliant thing that I'll hear today or yesterday, for that matter. But well, I was going to say, no Reddit phrases, please. You usually see him as the he's the puppet master. He is the one behind the scenes pulling the strings. Slow burn, yeah. Slow burn. He doesn't get his hands dirty unless he has to. Yeah, but when he has to. Yes. I, I mean yeah. there's I, I'm reminded of one uh, one ghostwriter uh, ep- uh issue. Uh this was like the uh the, the version with Dan Ketch and I think Mark Texiera was was the one that was doing the artwork for it. Uh he's there pretty much in the kingpin thong going up against a bunch of of ninjas and yeah, they're coming right. at yeah, him from yeah, all directions happened. and he's just wiping the floor with them mm-hmm. right well remember, remember you've done all those openings since his first appearances they've done all those openings where he'll take on kung fu guys he'll take on boxer guys this is warm-up before he goes to work right yeah, i mean it's just people don't see him as being able because he doesn't he doesn't he prefers to let others do the dirty work but when he gets there, you know, if if yeah, if he has to throw down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the reason. No, I would say, well, I mean, that, that I remember in, and this is a deep dive, and I think and Eric would appreciate this, in the Marvel Superheroes RPG uh, source book under uh, Kingpin. I mean, his his fighting skills are, are like. Uh, on at least at the very least on par with Daredevil, if not well, better. Oh, no. And he's all muscle. Like he looks fat, but that the truth is that's all muscle for him. Which is wonderful, isn't it? When, by the way, when you mentioned Mark Texiera, good, well done, by the way. I interviewed him and he told me when he was drawing the Danny Ketch Ghost Riders, he drew some of the drug dealers you see Ghost Rider fighting. He would draw the actual drug dealer on the street corner from where he, from the window he could see, and it, his artboard was against the window, and he was drawing real prostitutes and, and, uh, uh, drug dealers. He would see from his window in the Bronx. I thought that was a great story, you know? That is. I'm going to have to go back. I, I collected that series for quite a while. I'm going to have to go back and, and open and dig through and just see if I can, it's like, well, so, so that guy was really doing drugs there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was him and Mark. Uh, that was him and I think Howard Mackey. What a great run that book uh-huh. had. You know? Yeah, yeah. Their their version of Scarecrow, I thought, was really scary. You know. Uh, actually, yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. And it's one of those. It's one of those books that you know. Uh, so many bad '90s books. That one I think holds up, even though I don't like the idea of recasting your main character. You know what I mean? I mean, I think character dumping your character to give the powers to someone else. That's lame, especially when you don't have to recast in a book, a comic book. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I did like the way it, you know they did do the Danny Ketch, but they brought in Johnny Blaze. Yes, because you know why? Because every letter you got, oh, Ghost Rider looks badass, but where's Johnny Blaze? 
I love the way they brought him in, though, because it was it was almost like Jack McGee chasing David Banner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know what? You're well, way to bring it full circle, Mister Concise. <laughs> the three of us are the three of us are far afield, and then you rope us all in cattle and bring us back to the point. <laughs> uh, well, this show has more tangents than a high school geometry class, so you were, this this is not our first tangent rodeo. No. <laughs> well, I'm honored to be on one of your tangent hunts. <laughs> so, if you were to do a, another book on another Marvel character or Marvel franchise that's pre um pre mcu what would you do okay uh since i've signed an nda for something i can't mention yet you might want to ask me that question again in seven months yeah if you can read the fine print gentlemen it'll be worth asking me about in seven months <laughs> yes Howard, so, so there's a Howard the Duck. There's a Howard Duck Actually, companion. Could you mention Howard the Duck? I want credit for Howard the Duck being in Guardians of the Galaxy. When uh, I did it, I, 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 James Gunn, I teased James Gunn. Uh, I, I did a cover story on him. I almost killed him accidentally when I got him. During like the biggest rainstorm in Hollywood in 10 years, I was trying to frame him with the Scooby-Doo 2 billboard behind him. So I made him stand on a dumpster so he could get a shot with the Scooby-Doo gang behind him. And when he slipped, I caught him. But So I, I saved James Gunn, but only after almost accidentally killing him. So when he got Guardians of the Galaxy, I teased him when it, when it was announced, and the, the release date was announced as August 1st. I posted on his page, I don't want to sound like a vote of no confidence, but you realize that's the opening day of Howard the Duck. That's why friggin' Howard the Duck is in Guardians of the Galaxy. I stand yes. by this. Well, my, oh, Mike, now aren't you happy? I am happy. It comes okay. around full circle. It comes around full circle. Dude, can I just, can I just go on record here and, and say thank you for not killing James Gunn? <laughs> You're quite welcome, but I wasn't trying to kill him with the thing. And he goes, he goes, what would you, because he saw, he was, when he started to fall back, I ran over and grabbed him, because I told him, I sold him. We have a, a thing out here called the Billion Dollar Block. It, it's like an entire block in Hollywood Boulevard with giant stone elephants, the giant wall. It's a big three-level mall complex. And, and they held the Oscars there and stuff. And Quincy Jones, and, you know, but there's a giant billboard. There was a giant billboard. It was the biggest billboard in L.A. And since I was doing an interview with him for Starlog to promote Scooby-Doo 2, I thought, what in Dawn of the Dead, I thought, what a great shot to have him, the Scooby-Doo gang over his shoulder. So, yeah, so when he slipped, he goes, you sure this is safe? I go, nothing's going to happen to you. And when he started to slip, I grabbed him, so everything was still fine. But uh, he goes, what would you have done if I fell into traffic? And I said, I would have gone home and called your agent and asked why you never showed up for the interview. And he thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't kidding. <laughs> My God, people, how unprofessional. You're, the guy, your guy never showed. And that's my story. Stick to it. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, okay. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, so I now, am... just in case we know somebody had something happens to one of our guests and we need a story. Exactly. Never showed that up. Exactly. You, always, you call whoever helped you book that guest and say, where the hell is he? The three of us don't have all night. So if you've accidentally killed the guest somehow, yes. While you're quietly dismembering the body, you establish your alibi. Hey, I, I know of a swamp in South Florida. <laughs> Perfect. Highland, you still have that wood chipper, right? Hey, yeah, I, I, 
Is it true they're closing the Wiki Wacky Mermaid thing in, in Florida? There is. I actually went. I actually went to it uh, Christmas or around wow. around Christmas time uh, three years ago. God, that makes me sad. Actually, you know, uh, they're, they're still a, they're still doing it. But they, they said that I, I saw a thing in the news today that they're going to close it down. Is that true? Uh that I don't know because I hadn't heard. Well, you're the Florida guy. You're supposed to tell me. <laughs> I, I'm, well, I'm, I demand you throw yourself in front of the bulldozer if this is true. <laughs> I, I'm too busy waiting to see when I get called back to Disney. Well, oh, yeah. Actually, that's a big question out here as well. I mean, I do a podcast called The Jeff and Janky Show, and my my partner, Jeff Sargent, you know, my co-host, he does a lot of sculpting for Disney, and he did he did all this, you know, he's got a ton of NDAs, but he did the Mandalorian. He sculpted the first toilet in Star Wars history. Boy, <laughs> 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 here's a fun fact told him by a supervisor. He said, according to the script, the toilets in the Star Wars universe are called accommodators. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, but he, he's done a lot of sculpting work for Disney, and he doesn't know when they're going back to work, you know? Yeah. The only, the only thing I so, know is uh, for Florida, the Two Kingdoms open July 11th. Uh, Studios Epcot open July 15th. Uh, the two parks in California are supposed to open on the 17th with uh, Downtown Disney opening the week before that. Wow. Uh, but with what I do, I'm in entertainment and it's still up in the air exactly what shows are going to be coming back. If well, any. not to be the voice of Doom, but not to be the voice of Doom, but I'm pretty sure I can announce to you right now, MegaCon will be canceled in Florida. Ah, <laughs> uh, it already got canceled. Oh, seriously? Okay. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I mean, no Comic Con, you guys. Have, have any of you three been to San Diego Comic Con? No, no. Oh, that's a bucket list item. Well, well, trust me. Right now, it's it's on the bucket list itself because it's it's canceled. I mean, they yeah. canceled it for the first time in history. Yeah. And they turned. No, no. I'm sorry. My brother corrected me. It's wink, wink, free as a virtual con online. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with the open bar. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll be God. lucky. I'll be lucky to find the space bar. Wow! Well, oh, oh, and by the way, exactly the only bar you're going to get at the virtual con is space bar. By the way, San Diego Comic Con is not only canceled, but the convention center has been housing COVID sick homeless. So yeah, yeah. so I, I, a lot of people are wondering if they should just burn it to the ground. <laughs> big, big old yeah, disinfectant that's, that's bomb inside. If you get one COVID case at, at the convention center during a convention or something, you know what a lawsuit that will be. It's terrifying. Yeah. I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're taking care of them. But I mean, with the liability alone, you know, I I don't blame them for canceling, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those years all conventions should just go ahead and cancel for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. You're totally right. So, but there's still some that are going to try and pursue it. In November, I'm looking forward to that. I don't want to see canceled. Which one? I, it's it's a small one up in North Carolina. It's called Mace. It's a uh, I think Mid Atlantic uh, Convention and Expo or something like that. It's it's like gaming and crafting and stuff like that. Ah. Oh. Is it in the triangle? Um, 
might be. Okay. Uh, I'm, not, cool. I'm not 100% sure. But I, I think I think you're right. I think everything they should probably just scrub everything till this thing passes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I know that there's one. Well, Dragon Con is still holding out, and I, I I'm thinking we probably hear something wow. about that soon. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, Dragon Con is universally beloved. I mean, every Southern friend of mine. Uh y'all y'all Comic Con's okay, but it's no Dragon Con. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I've been guilty of saying that myself. Wow, well, you're one of the part of the problem. So. <laughs> I, I may or may not have done a few Dragon Cons in my day. But you love it, right? Because everyone who's done Dragon Con, they, one, they do it again, which is always a good sign, and two, they won't shut up about Dragon Con. <laughs> Dude, it's an experience, man. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I'm that, what, I'm that what, same what, way about yeah. Star Wars Celebration. By the way, thank you very much. It was supposed to be here this year. I write for, well, you guys know this already, I'm sure, but yep. I write for Star Wars Insider. And to have a convention here, all the fish are on the boat. I could go do a bunch of interviews and skate for the next six months with all this completed work. No, they canceled it here. You know, so so yeah. celebration has officially been canceled because Repop still hasn't officially I, I, announced I, I, it. I, I, think I, I think they might have. They're right now they're leaning towards canceling if they haven't canceled it outright. One of my my dearest friends, Al, Al the pal Kalachi, you know, I went to school with him. He does. He's a librarian. He runs a Star Wars Day where they'll bring in like guests from the movies, guests from the cartoons. And they'll get 3,000 kids in the library on the weekend, which is unheard wow. of. They, they did a virtual show because they had to cancel. Nobody wanted to show up. You know? Wow. Wow. I mean, we're in weird times, gentlemen. Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, speaking of weird times, we're almost at the end of this episode, of this issue. I almost said wow. it again. Where can people find you online? Oh, uh, great question. Um, I have Facebook pages for, well, I'm Janky2099 on Twitter, Janky2099 on Twitter. I'm, uh, I'm on Facebook as Pat Jankowitz. And if you like the book, you can order the book on Amazon, you know, or uh, barnesandnoble.com and have it sent to your very home since all the bookstores are closed right now. It's called uh, You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry, A Hulk Companion. And you can find the Facebook page. By all means, friend it if you like. I keep, I, I not only keep stories about the show and the cast and birthdays for different people from it, because I interviewed over 100 people from the show, and I had Stan Lee and, and Lou wrote the forward. But you can, you can, if you go to the page, I cover, I cover all Marvel, all comic events, really. You know what I mean? I mean, I think we have something up there over the death of Adam West anniversary this week. So if you go if you go to that, I usually keep Marvel. I'll, I'll tell any Marvel stories I had from when I worked for them on that page. And uh, um, I also wrote an, a, another book with its own page based on another Universal show. Thank you. Uh, perfect. Thank you, my brother. He brought me a drink while we talked. <laughs> and uh, he uh, – uh, um, oh, I know what I was going to tell you. I also have one for my first book. It was, so I have one for my, my other book based on another Universal show with a lot of the same guests as the Hulk. Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, a TV companion, which you'll find online as well on Facebook. Nice. And my, yeah, Aaron Gray wrote the forward, a wonderful woman. And, nice. uh, and thank you. And then my first book is Just When You Thought It Was Safe, a Jaws companion about all four movies. So if there's anything you're, and all the ripoffs too. So if any of you are curious, sample or like those Facebook pages if you're feeling adventurous. 
And send me a link to your show. I'd like to listen to other episodes. Yeah, as a Marvel nerd, my own. Thanks, I appreciate no it. No problem. Uh, and on that note, there's only one thing left to do. Thursday, if you would, please. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Nope. Just time to go dark. Why wasn't she on the show? <laughs> I am a god, you dull creature, and I will not be bullied by...